This is Exane Anderson, and welcome to the Principal Podcast today. Today, I'm thrilled to have Elizabeth Bennett. I got to tell you, Elizabeth has a lot of experience. She's been a principal. She has a passion for empowering people to take on their lives. She has helped parents navigate the world of teenagers, which is, is so daunting for many of us, and has strategies to help people deal with teenagers. So, Elizabeth, welcome to the show today. Well, thanks, X. How I'm I'm thrilled to be here with you. Thrilled to have you with us here. So tell us a little bit about how you got started in this direction. Helping, te- well, helping parents and teenagers, parents understand teenagers. <laughs> well, I've been in the field of education for over 35 years as a teacher, school administrator, coaching both teens and their parents. And I just saw that there were some missing elements about having them connect with each other. So as an example, when I spoke with kids, they would tell me things like, you know, they didn't have a voice. Nobody listened to them. Uh, They didn't feel like they had purpose. Uh, You know, there was yelling and screaming at home or whatever that looked like. And so they would either engage in that or they would vanish, usually with their cell phones. And parents were saying similar kinds of things like, I don't know how to connect with my teen. I don't know what to say to them. We don't seem to talk anymore. I get really frustrated and all we do is yell and scream and it doesn't solve the problem. And so here we have these two groups, two people saying exactly the same thing and this huge chasm in between them. And so what I want to do is to be able to bring them closer to each other, to understand each other so that there's a better place to have courageous conversations. I love that. And that's even the name of your book. You wrote a book called it is. Conversations, yep. am I correct? Wonderful. We'd love to hear. <laughs> tell, tell us though a little bit what you would tell parents who are in the situation you just described or teen. How would you help bridge this chasm? Well, in my book, I have uh, five strategies of dedicated listening that I use, and they're not in any particular order. They're they're quite lovely to be able to you know intertwine with each other. But the first one that I usually suggest to parents to take a look at is really about understanding versus judgment. So when I talk about that with parents, I help them to understand. And I always point back here over my shoulder to say that our past is back there. You know, the way we were raised, our experiences, the, you know, the the things that we heard from our own families, our own parents, or whoever the caregivers were. And 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 that they need to understand that although they might have done work to, you know, to heal their traumas and heal their past. There's always something that comes forward. And I like to refer to them as filters. So we have filters in the way we see, in the way we hear, in the way we speak with each other. And our kids have those filters as well. But what we need to be able to do is move those filters out of the way for a little period of time. And that's part of that judgment piece. Because as we know, parents and adults and teachers and and, caregivers always want to have they they come up with answers right away. What we need to do is to move that aside and really be curiously engaged about our children and invite them into conversation with us. Oh, I love that. I like what you said about being curiously engaged. And it reminded me of something, you know, there was a, a man who wrote The Seven Habits of Highly Effective oh. People. <laughs> and he, he basically said there were seven habits that he thought were very effective. And he said, if you can seek first to understand before you try to be understood, 
you'll be more effective in influencing. And that's kind of what I'm hearing you say as well. Like if we can be curious, engaged, and try to understand our teenager without judgment before we try to have, tell them what to do or try right. to be understood, we'll be much more effective. Is that what I'm hearing you say? Well, yes, it's very similar um, because I've done lots of work with that particular um, philosophy. And, and I think it really is about, because that's part of the attraction and the engagement piece that will be much more welcoming and inviting than only coming up with solutions that as adults and as parents and as caregivers and teachers or whoever, being able to say, you know, I have your answer for you. Sometimes that's the space that I want to have kids be valued for because they do have a voice of their own and we often diminish it or we don't allow it to be present. And so that's the space of understanding, you know, so as an example of that, it would be something like, so, you know, tell me what happened at school today, or, you know, I, I noticed that you're, that you are, you know, you're looking a little angry or upset and don't be fooled by that. Kids will tell you if you've chosen the wrong word. So pick another one, right? To say, I just want to know what's going on. I just want to hear about what's going on in your life. I like that. And maybe letting them talk more than you talk. Yes. Right? <laughs> yeah. I like I heard someone once said the person who's talking the most is the one who's enjoying the conversation the most. So if you want <laughs> your, if you can find a way to get your your teenagers to talk a little more, perhaps that might be helpful, right? Have them and let them enjoy the conversation with you by letting by letting them speak more than you do. Mm -hmm. Interesting. You mentioned five things. Can you can you touch on another one or maybe give us a overview sure. of that? So another one would be intentional time. So that means that we really need to take that time to be intentional in being with our child. And, you know, if you happen to have a family with four or five or more children, I get that that, you know, our lives are busy and there's lots of stuff going on. But that intentional time really helps you to engage with each child independently. Because as we know, you can have many children in your house and they all have a different personality. They all have a different space. They hear you all differently. You know, they speak differently than each other. And so they also have concerns or they also have things within them that they might want to share with you that they don't want to share with anybody else. And they want that time with you. And it's incredibly important to, to you know, schedule that time. That means putting down the cell phones, turning off the Netflix or whatever other thing that you're engaged with. And even if it is, you know, marking it in your calendar to be, to really be intentional about that time that you're going to spend with them. And it's not going to be, you know, it's not just about being a one-off thing or, you know, we've had this conversation and so therefore I know everything about you and we're good to go. This is a continual practice kind of thing, as it is with these strategies. I like that. Being intentional to the point where, hey, let's put our devices down. Yeah. Where I'm not, I'm here, but I'm not really here. That's not intentional time. Time where I'm spending time with you. And, you know, I've heard it said, too, that sometimes the anticipation of an event is actually more um, positive than sometimes the event itself. If you can actually say, hey. I've planned this time where it's just going to be you and me. We're going to go out to eat or we're going to go have a chat together, even if it's just wherever. 
and let kids anticipate. And then when you're there, be focused. The phone doesn't need to be answered during that time, right? I love that. Love that. Intentional and understanding people. What would be another one of those five points? Can I, if you wouldn't mind sharing? Uh, another one is really about allowing the conversation to flow and allowing the, the child to have that opportunity to make it flow. And so when you're with them and you're intentional in that time, you know, you, you might start with a sentence starter and it doesn't necessarily have to be a question or it could be, you know, you could be the cool parent that said, Hey, I just was listening to a podcast and what do you think about this? Right. Or I just read an article on my cell phone or, you know, whatever to, to sort of engage in that conversation and say, and give them, give them a voice in something of the world. It doesn't necessarily need to be something that's going on with them all the time, because then that feels like nagging and that feels like too much prying. And that feels like, and sometimes it needs to be away from them. Not often, but for this particular illustration, it might be, what would you do if you, or how, how would you speak to the United Nations if you wanted to stop the war in the Ukraine? What would what would you think you would say, right? And then allow that space to be quiet. And then allow them to speak. And don't come up with, well, I wouldn't say that or I wouldn't do that, but rather say something like, well, I never even thought of that. Wouldn't that be cool? Right? So that it really frees up that space of intentional conversation, but allowing the flow to be theirs. And that's sometimes challenging because we always want to be, you know, we uh, typically as adults, we don't like the silent space. We always think that we need to fill it with time, with something to say. But sometimes just asking a question and letting them think, and you yeah. may have 30 seconds of silence, 20 yeah. seconds or a minute, and just let them think. Right. And then and then letting it and then not responding with a judgmental, well, I don't know if that would work or this would be better. Right. But just let them decide and say, wow, wow, that's an interesting idea. Glad you shared that or, or whatever it is in a positive, non-judgmental way. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah. I like that. <laughs> so I have a question. You wrote this book recently and you've already shared a little bit of it. I like it. Tell us how you got started. Um the thought of writing this book. Tell us how that happened. Well, the book's been in the in the stages of writing for probably 25 or 30 years, really. Um, <laughs> because initially, the intention of it originally was I had seen lots of kids being bullied at school, trying to solve problems and so on as a teacher and then as an administrator. And there had to be something that I could do about that. And some of it actually came from my own life because I was also bullied as a kid and, you know, other things that were going on in my life. And I wanted to find something that was going to work. And as I was seeing it showing up time and time again in schools, I thought there's got to be something. And then I wanted to, I wanted to be the person who was going to have the silver bullet. I was going to be that person who was going to you know, be rich and famous and have the perfect solution to bully. And that was the intention originally when I first got started with thinking about writing the book. 
because I, you know, I, I gathered with some community agency folks and we talked about putting a program together to help these specific kids at this time in this particular school. And then it morphed from there because then I went off and I started talking with people about it. And then it kind of, you know, I, I packed it away and thought, well, I'll do something with it sometime. But as I continued along my journey with talking with kids and trying to figure things out and looking for solutions from them and so on, and as well, talking with agencies, talking with families and parents and so on, what I recognized along my own journey was that it's really about relationship. It's about connection. It's about community. And it's about conversation. And so as the book morphed into being a real live thing, and that only happened a couple of years ago, it became a space where I recognized that you can't do it by yourself and that bullying really isn't the only problem out there, but it really is about connection. Or in the case of what I'm speaking to parents about right now is that disconnect because we're so far away from each other. And so that's what brought it forward. And really the reason that I chose the word courage or the title Courageous Conversations is I want people to be able to step out of their own comfort zone. And it takes courage to do that. And it takes courage to start the conversation. I love that. I love that you've said that. I also love that you're addressing parents. You know, I heard someone say something along these lines. The parents, the, they said, you know, if we don't help parents, something, I think it's not quite like this. If we don't help basically families and parents, everything else we do will, will almost be like straightening deck chairs on the Titanic. I mean, it's well-intentioned. There's great programs out there. There's great community programs. Teachers do a great job. So many good efforts. But the truth is a lot of these problems start with parents and children. And, it, and somebody said, if there's not enough good parents, there will never be enough courts or enough policemen or enough social programs to make up for it. And so we've got to help parents say, you know, what can I do to have this connection that you're talking about, to have this sense of like, my children feel safe to share things mm -hmm. that are really important with, with me. Yeah. Because teachers do a great job, schools do a great job. I'm not saying anything against that, but I think the real root of the problem is we can help parents say, how can I be a good parent? I think that's where maybe the root of, of a lot of these problems can be solved. And the fact that you're going after props for you, I just think that's wonderful. Thanks. Um, anything that you would say, so let's go a little bit deeper into this. You know, here, let's say I, I'm a parent. I have a teenager who is not communicating with me. I had this connection when they were younger. I think this happens to a lot of parents where it's like, my, my son or my daughter used to call me daddy or mommy and love me. And now they're 14 or 15 and like, they're, they don't want to be around me. They're embarrassed. And they, they, I can tell something's a little bit going on, but I can't quite get through to them. You've already touched on a few things. Is there anything else you would say to these parents? Like, Hey, let's, you've talked about listening and understanding in a non-judgmental way. You talked about, listen, maybe we just need to start a conversation, let them take the lead, spend intentional time. I love that. Any other things that you would say to parents who are maybe aching for their, 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 their teenagers or want to connect and are having trouble? I think that the thing that I'd like for them to know is that 
It's no longer the space. And, and we might have heard that. I certainly did as a kid. You know, my mother or my father would say, oh, honey, you know, don't worry about anything. Just go to school and have a good time and so on. Well, the, the piece that I'm going to talk about or at least share with you is that these are all the things that are going on in a kid's life right now. Like, you know, where they're, if you can imagine for a moment, the brain and, you know, they're, they're feeling vulnerable. They're worried about whether they have friends. They want it, you know, they're worried about whether they're dressing the right way to be acknowledged or to be part of what goes on. You know, do they have the right shoes on? Are they wearing the right hair color of the moment? You know, um, they're worried about anxiety or their peers or if they're in sports or if they're in any kind of, you know, school production or, you know, do their, do their parents even care about them? Uh, you know, there's defiance going on. Are they a little bored? Are they rejected? Are they loved? And, and tons of those things are all going on in their brain at the same time. And sometimes they don't know because maybe they don't have enough skills or strategies yet, or they're not old enough to try and figure out, okay, you know, those things are happening, but let's, let's settle, let's, let's settle the noise. And they don't have, they, they're feeling overwhelmed by all of that. And so that's what they carry every day. So to give you a little bit of a, a different kind of analogy of that, you know, if we put every one of those words that I just mentioned to you on a little tiny rock and we put that in their backpack because we know most kids carry a backpack. If we put all those rocks with, you know, fear and, and love and hate and, and pressure and frustration and stress and, and parties and, and all those things, if every rock had just one name on it and we put it in their backpack, that's the stuff they carry around with them all the time. And so to be able to release some of that, we need to be able to have courageous conversations, to have those connections with our kids to say, okay, well, let's look at some of these. Let's, let's take some of this apart. And let's be able to take some of those rocks out of your backpack, look at them and say, okay, what can I do to help support you when you're feeling stressed for an exam or when you're feeling stressed because you know, you have a new girlfriend or a new boyfriend or, or whatever, right? Because there are those kinds of things that happen too. How do you deal with that? How do you deal with the peer pressure at school? If somebody says to you, hey, I want you to do drugs with me. How do you deal with that, right? So each one of those needs to have a space to have conversation. And it also has to have a space for trust and for knowing that there's safety in that conversation. And so being willing to have, hey, let's have some time together. Yeah. And tell me what's going on. And then just listen. Yeah. Non-judgmentally, right? You know, I heard somebody say that influence is a two-way street. I remember with my own, with one of my children, there was a situation that kind of concerned me about a choice that I was thinking was being made. And I remember hearing that just before I had this conversation with my, with this child of mine. And I remember they said, you know, when you are willing to, to really step into someone else's spot and try to understand them and let them influence you, a lot of times they're so much more willing to, to let you influence them back. So I remember this particular situation. I had a long drive with my child and they were telling me about this thing, about this thing. And I realized that I had misjudged the situation. 
that I had interpreted it wrong, that I had, that I did it, the way I was thinking of it wasn't quite right. And I said that, I said that, I said, you know what, you've actually influenced me. You've changed my opinion of this situation. Thank you for sharing it with me. And it only happened after an hour or two. But I noticed that after that happened, that my child was much more willing to listen to me because I had listened to them first, kind of that understanding first thing we were talking about without mm -hmm. judgment and letting them influence. And so I think sometimes as parents, we have this temptation to go, I know better and I have more experience and this is what you should do. And you're right, they have all those things going on in their brain and maybe we don't understand and maybe we do need to just say, let's talk about this. You know, what, yeah. what do you do if someone offers you drugs? What do you do if somebody's trying to do something that's inappropriate? Um, you know, when you're dating or whatever, let's have these conversations now so that they, and they know that you're a safe spot to bounce stuff off. And also that you care enough to give good advice. Not that you can't say you can't give any advice, but they, but they know that you, that you'll listen to them. Correct. Yeah. I'm hearing. Well, and, and there's also a space too of vulnerability from the parent perspective saying, you know what, I don't know a lot about this particular con issue or concern or question that you have. So let's do something together about it, either to, and I get that not everything in on the internet or in, you know, when you Google stuff, that everything is accurate, but at least go and, and find out more about that topic and do it together. So let's take a look at this. Let's, you know, and that way they're feeling like they at least know that there's safety in that conversation that you're having that they feel like they're in a safe space to be able to al allow their own guard down for a little bit of time. And that includes their emotions and so on. And being able to, to not swiftly come up with an answer, but at least it opens the space for more conversation. And that if that you, and if you need to go to a, um, another agency or, you know, a, a, an activity or a, a, a community resource, then you can do that together and they don't feel isolated or alone or that they're rejected or that they can't talk about it. But having said that too, you know, part of what I mentioned at the beginning about background and about where parents come from, children will create the space for themselves in their head depending on what they're hearing in their home. So if they're hearing derogatory things, if they're hearing, you know, bigoted conversations, if they're hearing stuff that's really in turmoil and uh, and they don't feel safe about the topic that they want to address, they're not going to do it in your home. So I think you need to be really um, conscious and aware of the kinds of conversations that are happening in the adult realm or what parents are, you know, saying out there as commentary, either watching a movie or television or, you know, whatever they've listened to or so on. And that, because that then becomes a determining factor as to whether there's safety in that home for that child to explore and to explain or to ask questions about what's going on in the world. I like that. I like that. You know, I've heard somebody say this. Uh, you brought it up as like the, the environment of the home. I've heard somebody say, you know, behaviors are like seeds. Attention is like water. So if you can imagine I have a pitcher of water in my hand. 
and we water the behaviors we want to see grow with attention. Well, a lot of times in our homes, you know, if you've seen parents, maybe you've been the parent, I'm sure I have, where child walks in and they, this parent says something negative, like, I can't believe you didn't make your bed. I can't believe you did. You stayed up till three in the morning last night and you, you got a C minus on your math test. And what that parent is a lot of times doing is they're watering the behaviors they don't want to see grow yeah. with attention. When it, they say that the most effective way to shape human behavior is to catch people doing something right. So if we can instead say, when people are doing something right, as a parent, when we can say, hey, you know what? I can see you're putting a lot of effort into that math problem. Good for you. Yeah. I love it when you, when you I, I noticed you did something nice for your sister. Great job. Or just a little wink or a pat on the back or a hug or something to say, hey, so that you're way more positive than negative. And we're looking for the positive rather than always hounding them. And that, that environment you were talking about, about how can we create an environment in our homes? And maybe if we can just stop and say, wait, it's not as effective for me to say their bed's not made. Maybe I wait until they make their bed one time. And then I say, wow, great job. Look how your bed was made, you know, and that actually can change just the little comments we make in the environment at home. So it's not as hopefully not toxic at all, but less toxic if there is some toxicity there and the kids feel safer in positive than in negative environments. Well, and because what that does is it also invites them into being a contributor in their home rather than listening to nagging. Right. I like that very much. So I have, there's one thing on here that I was looking at when we, before, before we chatted here, and it's, there's this, um, there's a phrase called reframing your behavior. And I wonder if you could speak to that. What does re- reframing your behavior look like? What is that? What does that even mean? Well, it's on both levels. So it's as a parent and certainly as you know i've done it as an educator and and just in my own personal life and it's also a space for your kids so you mentioned a little bit of a, of the behavior piece before reframing your behavior takes a look at cuz as i mentioned before about you know your background and your upbringing and so on and the filters it's how we show up for each other so in this conversation with with you and i you know, I have my experiences, I have things that have gone on in my life, and so on. And so do you. And you're going to hear them. When I share with you, you're going to hear them. And you're going to think about things as they relate to what's going on with you, and your own experiences and the things that you believe and don't and accept and don't and, you know, all that stuff that goes on. The reframing piece is about being able to step into looking at those filters and how we show up for our family and being able to recognize that maybe how we've been showing up hasn't been the best way all the time. And that's stepping in as well into that space of vulnerability and saying, as an example, you're sitting with your child and you say, you know what, I recognize that from time to time, I lose my cool really quickly, or I yell at you, or I get really frustrated because you don't do something. And I recognize that that might not be the best way for us to have conversation and to get you to do things. And here's what I, pardon me? You're willing to admit it to your child that, hey, this isn't the best way. I, I probably handled this poorly. Right. And so that's, 
part of the reframing piece to be able to recognize it for yourself, to be able to share it and say, how can we do this differently? And again, it's not a one-time deal. These are all practices that we need to be able to shift ourselves, look at things. And it doesn't, it doesn't diminish your space as a parent. What it does is it opens the, the space to be able to have those conversations, to be able to bring things up differently. And if you notice things that are that are wonderful, then they get a chance to hear that authentically rather than that was a good job you did or, you know, or diminishing it. But it it provides a new opportunity for conversation, for authenticity, for vulnerability, and for the courage for both of you to be able to step up into a new space and design a new way to move forward. And that's what hopefully will create that connectedness, that powerful relationship. And hopefully there's lots of love in there and that you can feel, excuse me, that there's a new way of being able to be in connection with your child. And the same can be said, I mean, although I wrote the book focused on teens because I love them, I love their piss and vinegar and their hormone rages and their defiance and everything else, but that that the information that I helped to share with families, they could be in kindergarten or you could be having that conversation with your partner or it could be in the workplace because we all know that workplaces can be toxic too. So this is a new space for conversation. Thanks for sharing that. Really, you've had so much experience. I really appreciate being on the show. How can people get a hold of you, Elizabeth, if they want to? Uh, they can reach me through my website and I have a gift for your listeners as well. So if they go to uh, www.courageousnetwork.com, there's an opportunity for them to purchase my book. They can um, get the, the uh, Courageous Report or Courageous Conversations Report, and they can also um, book a call with me so we can have further conversation and I can help them specifically for whatever is going on with them. Wow, thank you for thank you for providing that resource. Thank you, Elizabeth, for being on the show today. Is there anything else you would share with parents before we we close up here now? Or it sounds well, like a lot of it. You know, there there are a couple of tips that I usually leave with parents. One of them is about you know starting those conversations, understanding versus judgment, uh, the intentional timepiece, and get out together and have some fun. There needs to be a space for that. Because the thing that I also tell parents about is busy, busy, busy will always be there. We will never get beyond being busy, but your children might not be. Yeah. Thank you so much again, Elizabeth. Feel free to reach out Elizabeth to Elizabeth. We'll have the, if you want to look at the show notes, uh, if you missed the, the, the links, we'll have them in the show notes. Feel free to look out for those. And Elizabeth, thank you so much for being on the podcast with us today. Thank you, Evans. 